what does the future hold for healthcare, and how will the changes on the horizon impact patients, physicians, payers, and hospitals? The Scope is a podcast that explores the advances in treatment, technology, and the ways in which we interface with healthcare. I'm your host, Scott Mayer, CEO of Mobile Anesthesiologist, and each week I will speak with individuals who are working at the leading edge of medicine to find out how innovation and outside-the-box thinking are revolutionizing the industry and impacting our lives. We're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Kate Copeland who is the Chief Quality Officer and Associate Medical Director for Quality and Safety at the Southeast Permanente Medical Group, part of Kaiser Permanente, Georgia. In that role, Dr. Copeland oversees varied aspects of the national KP quality aims with responsibilities including quality oversight and improvement, population care, performance improvement, peer review, simulation and team training, medical ethics, safety systems, innovation in human-centered design, research, threat management, and ambulatory resource stewardship, including laboratory medicine. She's a graduate of Yale University and completed medical school at Emory University, where she also earned a master's degree in public health. She trained in internal medicine at Brigham and Women's Hospital as a clinical fellow in medicine for Harvard Medical School. In addition to authoring several publications on quality and care improvement, Dr. Copeland has taught at Harvard Harvard School of Public Health, Harvard Medical School, and Brigham and Women's Hospital Internal Medicine Program. We're going to cover a range of issues on today's episode, including Dr. Copeland's work in the field of population health, the importance of physician leadership, and ushering in important changes in healthcare. We'll also find out what she sees on the horizon for healthcare and its future, and what she's excited about for down the road. Dr. Copeland, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really looking forward to uh, to this discussion. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. Wonderful. I I would like to just dive right in and just hear a little bit about more about how you got started in kind of, you know, really the population health movement, what drew you to it, you know, your passion about it. I'd love to kind of hear your story and journey to to really being that a focal point of your career. Great. Thank you for asking that question. That's actually one of the main reasons I went into medicine to start with was actually a commitment and exposure to population health from a young age. Actually, both my parents, my mom and dad, are both physicians, and they both are public health and population health physicians. So I grew up with them really as role models, and they were what inspired me to actually go into medicine and pursue the field, not just of medicine, but medicine and public health and population health, being able to see the impact both of individual care when you're the physician with the patient in front of you, helping them with their uh, care journey, as well as when you're able to care for and impact an even larger group of individuals known as population health. So that's in brief sort of my journey and where I ended up now, and actually the whole reason I went into medicine in the first place. Wow, that's, that's fantastic. I also grew up in a medical family with a physician as a as a dad that's involved with patient safety and a lot of things that you mentioned. And I, you know, as as you mentioned, growing up and seeing that in your parents and in your family and seeing not only their struggles, but also kind of their strides and, and what they're able to do it, it, at least for me, it excited and ignited me to want to be a part of, of, you know, changing healthcare and trying to improve the, the patient quality of care and, and kind of patient experience. So I love, I love hearing that journey. And, and can, you know, people still, the, the word population health, can, can you tell us a little bit more about how, how you would describe the work around it and really kind of the mission and goals at, for you as, as how you see your work in the population health area? Sure. Great. And it's, it's fun to hear your story as well. So for both of us, it's um, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree, right? <laughs> we got inspiration exactly. um, from the family. So that was a beautiful story. Um, so this is sort of how I think about population health. My, my personal definition of it is this. You know, when we are individual providers, physicians, we are sitting with a patient in front of us, kind of a one-to-one relationship. And you're assessing what the patient is telling you. Um, in terms of their concerns or, you know, their their care goals. And you sort of follow this process that actually providers and physicians have followed for, you know, many decades, if not hundreds of years, which is you listen to the concern of the individual or you have a sense of where you want to help take them in terms of prevention and or management. And you get some different elements of the history. You might get a social history. You might get an exercise history. You might get 
um, some past medical history in terms of what's ailed them before, um, and some other elements of the history to drive. You're going to understand what medications they're currently on. You're going to understand what other specialists that they've seen, maybe what else is going on in their lives. And then you might do a physical exam. You might do some laboratory radiology work for an assessment. And together you come up with a, a diagnosis, and then you come up with a care plan that together is going to be you know, executed upon. So that's the relationship between the individual physician and patient. And the way I see it for population health is it's very similar, but instead of one individual patient in front of you, it's actually an entire population. And what might that mean? It might mean a number of different types of populations. So for example, it could be an entire membership of for example, a payer organization. And that's how we might think of it in Kaiser Permanente. So all of the members of Kaiser Permanente might be our population. We might think of it in terms of an outcome we're trying to improve. So for example, if we're thinking about, um, we want to offer manograms to all of the eligible women, um, then, then our population would be those eligible women who are in the correct age range and qualify for mammogram screening. Um, and it may also, for example, be age-based. It might be sex or gender-based. It might actually be race-based. So there may be some different ways that we think about how we define a population. But regardless of how we define it, it's going to be our clinical approach to then how we help basically do the diagnosis and care plan for that population. So we can identify what it is that's needed for that population based on evidence. Um, so it could be, for example, cancer screening, or for example, it could be disease management, or for example, it could be an immunization strategy. And then we're able to utilize evidence and then utilize data analysis and utilize some different systems approaches to help that population get what, what they need at the end of the day. Does that make sense? It, do, it does. And, and thank you for kind of going over that in detail and, and really understanding kind of that holistic approach to everything the, the patient really needs to manage and actually get in front of and be proactive. I mean, I think the biggest piece that kind of came to mind is how healthcare has been so reactive for so many decades and years of, oh, I, I wait to have a problem, then I go try to get it fixed versus saying, what could I do in my daily life and just taking care of my health, but also what can I get in front of? And like you mentioned, it's not even for just me as an individual that may be going through things or things affecting me, but also at certain age, certain genetics, certain things that are going on outside that may not have not may not affect me until years later. But how do we get in, in front of that? And it's 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 makes so much sense, right? It's, it's so it, we, we use this approach in so many other places and, and, and decisions in our life that I feel like this is just a, a kind of really giving the patient something of a, of a roadmap of, of how best to kind of optimize their health and, and really make sure that they're getting in front of anything that they may have just kind of pushed to the side in the past without this mentality. Is, is that kind of aligned with, with everything you kind of see it in the way you see it as well? Oh, absolutely. And actually, I love that you brought up what's happening in their daily lives. Um, because if we think about it, you know, individual patients' interactions with the health system if they have any, because many patients might not even have access to a health system or have under access um, or might be underinsured or uninsured, et cetera, right? So we all live our lives, you know, greater than 90, 95, 98% outside of the healthcare system, right? And so having opportunities for all of that between visit type of proactive care um, can be the things that really meet the patients where they are, the populations where they are, and help drive their health forward and support that. And there still is an opportunity for some of the population health work to happen even during, you know, around visits, telehealth visits, in-person visits. If we have personalized kind of population health reminders or activities that happen around the medical care, and yet the vast majority of our health happens outside the medical system. And so meeting patients where they are is a huge part. I'm glad you brought that up. And you kind of, you know, hit on that a lot of the world, like in, in patients may not even interact or, or be part of their system directly. And part of that, you know, it just stems at least, you know, thinking about is it's there's a lot of anxiety and fear of trying to go to your doctor or trying to be preventative and things because you don't you don't want to hear any negative or bad or or worrisome health you know in information about yourself on, you know, up front because it's like, OK, the farther I stay away, it's more of a chance that I don't have to hear about maybe something 
been going wrong and it, it's the wrong mentality you want to try to hear about it and get it right but it's your own you know livelihood and so there, there's a lot of fear and anxiety around there and i'm guessing you you come across that in trying to change this mentality quite a bit Absolutely. So you mentioned fear. Absolutely. We have, we all have personal fear about, you know, scary diagnoses or concerns with our health. And so there definitely is an element of fear. There's also the inconvenience um, of coming into an appointment when it's not convenient, or you're not used to coming into that sort of a building, or you're worried about COVID or flu or RSV spreading. Um, So there's a lot of elements to what you were mentioning. And there are some elements of distrust in the healthcare system with especially more current uh, divisiveness in politics and different kinds of beliefs around the health system. There's also systemic racism to address in terms of differential levels of trust in different kinds of groups with the healthcare system. So there's definitely many. And finally, there's financial concerns of interacting with the healthcare system in terms of whether it's a high copay or under insurance or that sort of thing. So there are many barriers to even seeking care and this kind of opportunity to help people where they are in a really affordable, you know, financially sort of efficient way as well to prevent disease, but also manage disease between visits um, actually helps the individual where they are, but also the healthcare system at large. You know, you, you kind of touched upon some key areas that I know are just, you know, really hot button issues, and that's, you know, health and equity when it comes to race, gender, et cetera, on that side, and, and even, you know, like you said, financial status and well-being on that end as well, and then the entire aspect of access that patients may not have if, you know, especially with a lot more hospital closures and different things that are happening on that side, and, and I love what you said about telehealth and, and that being an opportunity, and I think we all can, can, can state that telehealth, you know, it could have been around for many more years than it's been around in terms of being in full force. And, and you know, the, the pandemic definitely accelerated the the use, the approval, the the support of, of everybody around it, and which was, you know, a, a definitely a benefit for our, the long term. Are there uh, outside of that, what other kind of pr- initiatives or focus or things or methods are you doing and, and within the Kaiser to and, and your team to just really focus on that access piece and that health and equity piece? Are, are there certain kind of you know, just um, mantras or, or things that you're trying to do just to, in, just to improve those areas of, of, of care? Yes, yeah, so those are two big areas, and please let's make sure that we um, dive into both of them, which are access and then health equity and disparities. So I guess let's start with access, because without access to health care, we can't really improve outcomes at the end of the day. Um, so from an access framework, I believe access is part of quality of the healthcare system. Um, without access, you can't even get in to achieve those high quality outcomes. So access takes many forms. And if we start big and then get a little bit more granular, we might even start to scratch the surface of how we're thinking about access at Kaiser Permanente and beyond really in, in the nation. And so from a system standpoint at the highest level, Systems such as policy and access to coverage are going to be sort of at that highest level. So without um, state and federal policies and then access to coverage to allow really all individuals to access our care systems is going to be what's needed to make really the broadest population shift, frankly. So there are these policy shifts and coverage at the state and federal level, I think we're going to need to change to be able to see more individuals be able to seek the care that they need, both preventive and treatment-based. Moving from that highest level into some of the healthcare systems, there's a few different um, sort of mid and state level access issues. One of those might be the kind of products that are actually covered so really financial reform in terms of you know high deductible and the different kind of products that are offered narrow network is there even an offering if somebody lives in a rural environment for example and so there may be financial and or geo access limits um, sort of at the local level that might not encourage individuals to get the care they need either in a proactive or reactive way and certainly perhaps not in a cost effective or in a convenient way for them then there are some aspects from an access standpoint that individual systems, healthcare systems can work on um, internally. Some of that might be geo access around specialty care, might be around where a hospital or facility is located. Some of that might be just around ensuring that templates 
like physician or provider templates actually allow for appropriate type care at the time when a visit is needed um, so that they're not kind of overseeing patients when they don't need to and freeing up space for patients that do need to be seen. These are the kind of examples we work on at Kaiser Permanente to ensure that we see patients when they need to be seen and when they want to be seen, and that we're offloading sort of unnecessary scoped work from the healthcare team so that they're available to meet patients where they are. And then building off on the kind of ways patients want to be seen. They want to be seen in telehealth. We need to be offering those services, which Kaiser Permanente certainly offered before COVID. However, really accelerated both from a provider acceptance and patient acceptance after the pandemic. So telehealth is an opportunity. So it's like chat with a doc or sort of on-demand services. Um, convenience care at different hours on the weekends, and also just routine care and having those face-to-face appointments available. So again, sort of personalized care, meeting the member where they want to be met. And as you can see from that sort of quick brush, there's that kind of much higher level societal um, systems for access all the way down to the individual care delivery. Um, is there anything else you'd want to pursue in the access front before we move to health equity? They, no, thank you very much for the explanation going through all those different kind of, you know, channels or, or factors that come into play. And it sounds like from my end, I mean, Kaiser Permanente has extreme, extreme influence, you know, size and, and gravitas and reputation. And you mentioned it is just one of really three when it comes down to politics, government, and then also the financial end with payers and networks and, and you know, the, the financial means of high deductible plans and having that type of wherewithal and understanding, but also the financial means. So it's it's even if you have all the size and, and your system has tons of control and power within it, within it, there's so many outside factors that you still have to consider regardless that are going to have such an impact on what you're trying to do to really take major strides on this end. I mean, is, is that, is it might, did I kind of, kind of summarize that in terms of that really, there's really those two others with payers and, and that, and also the government piece that you, that have to be part of this is really, if that really, this is going to work and improve. So I, yes, those absolutely have to be part of it. And that's from the biggest population perspective and uh, care delivery and provider organizations have a huge responsibility to be part of the solution. So we need to be part of the solution. We need to be creative. We need to be flexible um, and we need to make changes to ensure that our system is accessible to those who need it. How do you feel those changes are happening? Do you feel like you, you you can, like you said, be a part of that? Are you getting the support? Are you getting the the, the feeling involved and, and really being a, a kind of a, at the table to, to make these changes possible? Well, I think Kaiser Permanente is absolutely trying to lead that charge and be the voice of change and then also walk the walk. Um, so we're talking the talk and walking the walk. It's an absolute highest level organizational priority to continue to enhance and push the envelopes on access actually across our entire enterprise. And so we're given at the highest level of leadership support to do so, a lot of creative freedom um, and some flexibility with resources to create those solutions. And then we're expected to drive towards performance. So we're expecting to see significant and measurable improvements and results um, that meet the needs of our members. That's what we're driving towards now and you know into the near future. Well, it definitely takes, you know, full commitment and making, like you said, sure that everybody throughout top to bottom really is, has it as a focus and priority. Um, you know, I know you mentioned kind of pivoting over to the health and equity. I'd love to kind of, you know, dive into that yeah. with you as well and just hear your your overall kind of view on, on how things are going on that end. Thank you so much. Um, yes, we are thrilled both personally and professionally and at Kaiser Permanente to um, have the platform and the opportunity and the momentum to be talking more and more about health equity. Um, That can mean a lot of different things to different people. Sometimes it sort of gets lodged into workplace equity, inclusion, diversity elements. Sometimes it gets lodged into a systemic racism umbrella. Sometimes it gets lodged into, you know, the trust and patient care experience aspects that we mentioned earlier in the podcast. There's many different angles through which we can approach. Actually, a fourth angle is actually just quality outcomes. There's a lot of healthcare disparities and differentials and outcomes that are um, numerically shown. These are measurably different outcomes between different kinds of groups. They could be um, geo variable. They could be race variable for sure. They could be um, sex or gender variable. Um, So there's many different kinds of cohorts where we're seeing disparities in care and having the opportunity and the platform to really transparently and openly talk about 
health equity, which is such a shining light and such a beautiful opportunity, but also with such a difficult history of systemic racism, both in our society as well as within medicine, and having the vulnerability and humility to be able to discuss that history and think about how we need to make significant changes, I'm finding to be one of the most significant and and meaningful aspects of my current career in quality and population health, um, especially coming out of COVID, Black Lives Matter movement, and, and the current social unrest. So some specifics we can talk about in some ways mirror some of the specifics we talked about for access. Um, like in many things, when we talk about the healthcare system, just broad level truly goes from big to more system level. So there's many different kinds of aspects that can occur at the national level. Um, some of this, again, can be actually access and policy changes. Some can be setting some either regulatory or less so regulatory and more sort of numeric outcomes expectations for quality measures, for disparities reduction, getting the word out there, having it be something we can discuss at the national level, having some public reporting, and allowing a platform for just honest discussion about improvements um, in health equity. That's, those are some examples at the national level. At the local level, certainly there's some state and local kind of policy changes, coverage, and so forth. Um, certainly care delivery systems like Kaiser Permanente can do many, many things to focus on this. We can create leadership awareness and um, uh, transparency. We can create data metrics to drive towards disparity reduction. We can create special programming for different kinds of populations and cohorts. Um, we can create cultural awareness and education and requirements for our employees in terms of expectations for um, sort of working with different kinds of populations. And the, the list goes on. I'm happy to discuss in more detail if you have more questions about that. That was just wonderful to kind of hear, because like, as you mentioned, there was so much from over the decades that's been swept under the rug on the health and equity front. And you mentioned systemic racism, even gender aspects of these pieces. And it's really to the point that the rug is being pulled. <laughs> it's the trans you, you mentioned two words that stuck out throughout and that what you kind of just mentioned, and that was just transparency and also some vulnerability and knowing that we have to do better. And also we need to be able to talk about this and get it into the spotlight. And I'm really enjoying hearing how many more people are embracing that we need to admit that this is broken and this is not right. And that is going to be our first step. It's kind of like any program. First step is that denial and you have to go into acceptance to really take that next stride. And we have to realize and be able to not just hide the mistakes or the weaknesses or, or the, the, the problems right now. It's really getting that out in the forefront and saying we 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 did it's it's not right it's it's wrong and we need to correct that and you mentioned the data that comes with it too this is not just a subjective oh i think that this is the case i mean the the data is the data the facts the facts that that this is this is true and needs to be addressed and the, that first step is just being able to to get it out and and to the universe and make sure that we're not hiding behind this anymore. And I feel like that's also a healthcare issue and weaknesses that whether it be malpractice and fault and medical errors and, and just things that go wrong, it's been such a culture and mentality to, to hide it or to try to say, how do we, how do we kind of step away or get it arm's length or, or really push it aside versus, versus saying, Hey, we need to really be held accountable and be able to be transparent and open when we make mistakes and that we have to do better and let's use this as a learning opportunity to improve versus just trying to bury it and put it on the back burner which we know it's only going to stagnate and get worse so that you know that's what i continue to hear from what you were saying whether it be on the access front and be on the, all the things we need to improve that are, are wrong we, we just need to take that first step in admitting that this is the case and we can do better is that is that correct how you see it from your side too Yes, I love that. And I'd love to build and make um, further build on the analogy that you started to build on there about sort of safety, med uh, medical malpractice risk kind of topics is this, is that um, at the highest level, you know, if we can have the humility and vulnerability and honesty to really just be a learning organization, you know, that's kind of performance improvement lingo for having the willingness and curiosity to continue to improve and just to have continuous improvement and iterate. And, that, and I call that a learning organization. Um, and that's language that's used in performance improvement science. But in this 
topic, actually in both topics, let's use safety and equity, what it is is we need to have the humility to understand that there's an opportunity to improve and that we need to learn from previous errors or not even errors, but learn from, well, errors would be the case in patient safety perhaps, but um, just learn from any opportunities that have been handed us. Where can we do better? Where can we do better? Because if we have the opportunity to have a real conversation about where can we do better, let's bring that to bear. Let's discuss those either as a safety case or it could be an element of a disparity or an, a lack of health equity. They're really in the same category here around where people used to be nervous about talking about that, especially in healthcare where we're supposed to know all things and get all things right. And there is definitely um, an unwillingness to unearth that kind of a an opportunity. Now I think we're in a new space where the leaders can have the courage and the boldness and also the backing of their boards and senior governance and senior leaders to ensure that we can discuss those things, we can learn about them, and we can have a culture of continuous improvement, a speak-up culture, a culture of safety where we can discuss um, safety concerns, where we can discuss disparities concerns, and collectively with multiple people at the table come up with a better approach to make it safer and more equitable for our patients moving forward. So that's where Kaiser Permanente, I think, stands currently for both safety and for equity. Let's talk about it. Let's be a learning organization. Let's use data to drive improvements. Let's use patient stories and voice as a member to drive improvements and take us to the next level. I loved everything that you just mentioned there and that the key words that just stuck out again are just real conversations and honesty and humility and being able, and you mentioned improvement, process improvement on that side, even goes back to, you know, the old terminology of quality assurance versus quality improvement. It, it's just the, the tweaking of it, it, complacency and maintenance and managing are the wrong words to be using. It's instead leadership and progressive and, and really making sure that we're better today and tomorrow than we were yesterday and that type of mentality you mentioned the leadership and culture end and it needs to start at the top if we're going to have any chance of, of really making an, a difference and, and evolving this to a better place for the patient for the physician for everybody that's involved in the, the healthcare continuum and you know to that standpoint of really on the physician space and the leadership space you mentioned the, the population health and really talking about the macro view of it's 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 the larger community uh, versus the single patient view. And what I'd love to hear from your side is on that culture, that leadership end, but also on the physician end, you obviously being a physician that treated patients directly one-on-one -on -one in that bedside manner and really the focus on that individual, and now you leading an entire community and focusing on that macro view of, of the entire population. You know, can you talk a little about if there's, are there any differences in terms of that mindset of the, the physician that's with the individual patient versus the leadership from that population help from a macro Macro, you know, view. Are there any changes? Do you have to look at it or different philosophy? You know, you've 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 been lucky enough, and we're fortunate to have you on here to hear about it. But you've kind of seen both ends, and I'm I'm very curious to know if, if there's a different if you've kind of treated it any differently, or it's just a, a different way of going about it. Whether you're you know at the top leading it, or need to just be right there with the physician in the minute today. Sure, I mean. Of course, they're both extremely personally gratifying um, from my personal experience. Um, there's nothing like having an individual person in front of you who's suffering with a concern um, and you're able to help manage that concern and help make them better, you know, for themselves and their families. There's nothing better than giving them that gift of health or reassurance or if you're not able to restore them to health, supporting them along their illness journey. Um, and then there's also still in the one-to-one -one relationship, nothing better than you've got a healthy individual in front of you and you're able to prevent something. So you're actually able to bring something to bear where you're, you're able to, you know, maintain their good health, um, hopefully for many years to come. So that's one. And then you maintain these amazing long-term relationships with individuals who trust very personal details to you um, and you sometimes vice versa to them. And you create these long-term relationships, which are just, um, you know, really a two-way street in terms of the um, gifts that you're giving to, to each side of it. So that is real. And then when you take it up to the population level, um, one of the amazing benefits that's so professionally gratifying is, gosh, where I could impact that one person, you know, it took me 15, 20 minutes, 60 minutes to, to have that relationship and impact that one person. Now, all of a sudden, 
we get to be working with, in the case of Kaiser Permanente Georgia, over 300,000 members, or in the case of National Kaiser Permanente Enterprise, 13 million members and so forth, right? So the volume of change and impact can be enormous. And that's not just personally and professionally gratifying, it's also the mission of our organization. So we're committed to the mission of our organization, and it's also improving all these individuals' lives out there and the communities we serve. And yet the risk there is you could feel a little bit um, dehumanized. Maybe you're too far away from the lives individuals are leading or that the systems we're asking our healthcare teams to function under, um, what if those feel onerous? Um, for example, or we're not helping them do their job and it feels like an added burden. And so our responsibility in population health is, let's just comment on two of those things. Number one is keeping the member in the center, remembering these are individuals. It's not a blurred, you know, faceless set of a population that might be represented by millions of people, hundreds of thousands, a thousand, et cetera. These are individuals. So one tool we use to help remind us of that, something called human-centered design, or we use personas, or we use voice of the member. And we bring a lot of this performance improvement and innovation language into our population health work to ensure we're always remembering the individuals at the heart of all of the work we do. So that's, that's one risk with some mitigating strategies. And then another risk is this idea about the systems we're building, that we don't want them to be onerous on the healthcare teams. We want to provide service to the healthcare teams to let them do the top scope difficult work they're doing to care for sick members um, and develop those relationships. Um, and then we want to be um, creating these systems where either we do the work on the back end or it's a really easy sort of, you know, efficient system at the front end to enable them to really execute on the vision we have for population health. So those are just a couple of examples of the impact population health, even more broadly than the one-to-one -one relationship, but a couple of the risks inherent in there and what we're trying to do to mitigate that, especially at Kaiser Permanente. Makes a lot of sense, and and you mentioned kind of the the physicians and the healthcare team, and and obviously making it not onerous on them, and and with all this change or you know needing data on these different systems, especially for on the physician population, a, a, a mentality of we're supposed to know everything and have all the answers, and now things are changing. You know, can you talk a little about maybe what Kaiser Permanente or you yourself have been trying to do to help support the physicians and the healthcare team to to kind of know that, yes, you have to still focus on the patient, but we need to make these changes as well. And having both those things happen at the same time can feel like a lot and overwhelming, but we're here for you to try to make it as easy and seamless because it is going to, you know, the short-term change pain is going to help long-term in terms of your satisfaction experience, but also the work you're doing for your for your patients. You know, can, is, there, is there anything special or unique or, you know, you kind of seeing it from both ends that, the, that your system or leadership is really doing to to help enforce this enforce this change and make it as as easy seamless and enjoyable as possible sure okay there's a lot of elements in there i'm going to try and address just a few of them for sure what i want to address a little bit um is the workforce and joy at work and then i want to um, address a little bit about the healthcare team itself and then about really enculturation um, which is what we're talking about here so on the one hand, let's we'll go through those three things. So let's start with enculturation. Um, there is, and I just want to acknowledge, there's probably a bias for those um, providers and healthcare team members that choose to work at Kaiser Permanente are biased towards potentially our model of care. Certainly, we need to bring them more on board and teach all of the specifics as well. But there certainly might be a bias for those who believe in our mission to come join us, which is provide high-quality, affordable health care for our members in the communities we serve. So if that's the mission and the vision that we espouse and live day to day, then we expect all of our team members to abide by that and you know, to work within our system and to learn our systems while they're granted autonomy, of course, um, and their own professional judgment, of course, um, and to seek their own career goals, of course, we expect that sort of enculturation to occur really from the time you sign up to work with us throughout uh, throughout your career journey with us. So that's number one on enculturation. And that, of course, is, as we always hear called treat strategy for lunch, one of the harder pieces within our nation and then within different care delivery systems. So even us who have this very deep level of culture that supports this sort of population-based care constantly need to work on it, feed it, support it, 
Um, and so that's something we actively pay attention to at a leadership level. That's number one. Number two is I want to address our team-based approach. So important to have a team wrapped around a patient. It's not just the physician. The physicians are very important. Physicians are leaders of the team. Physicians are valued leader members of the team, of course. And there are other very important members of the healthcare team that we love to acknowledge and make sure everybody's able to do their top scope care to give the best multidisciplinary care to and the most efficient care and the highest quality care to our members. And so we have nurses, we have all different levels of nurses, which we value deeply. We have a lot of sort of coordinators and administrator um, levels of support. We have amazing pharmacists. We have amazing lab technicians. We have amazing radiology technicians and so forth. And so being, we have amazing social workers. We have amazing people who help support our electronic medical record. All of those individuals are members of the healthcare team, ranging even to the janitors, especially who keep our facilities clean um, and infection free. And so I'd like to just acknowledge them. And we need to make sure, given our workforce challenges in healthcare, that we're able to recruit and retain all members of our healthcare team by offering solutions to burnout by bringing joy at work, by letting them bring their whole selves to work, by fostering an EID equitable speak up culture and safe environment for them at work um, and um, sort of career growth opportunities as well. So that workforce and, the, and I'm sort of moved into the workforce support as well from the team are all extremely important at providing, again, that patient-centered care that's really the end goal of our organization and so I think as we proceed with this population health innovation and transformation, we're going to be always focusing on that team-based approach, making sure that our teams feel well-supported so that if they're well-supported, they can provide exquisite care to our members. Dr. Copeland, that could have been a, a TED talk in terms of leadership and everything you just mentioned, because you just... I love embracing team, right? I mean, physicians are a key and vital part of that. And they're the leader of the team, as you mentioned, but there's so many other pieces and we all need to kind of be aligned and be kind of, you know, really arm in arm, you know, locked at the hip in terms of being able to understand what our mission is and what our goals are and all be reaching for, for that optimal result for the, for the patient and for their, you know, that's why we're all here is for the livelihood and, and betterment of, of the patient population and to improve the care that they're, that they're getting. And, you know, I, I, the, the culture piece you, you kind of talked about too, is just so it, it, if you're in healthcare, if you're in manufacturing, if it, it doesn't matter what industry, that culture and the teamwork are, are the two differentiators that if we're going to make anything significantly possible, especially when it comes to major change, they, they, it has to start with that. And, and really your, your comments about leadership and just embracing those two and making sure those two are top two priorities before anything else is really what it's all about. And, you know, I, I you know, thank you for going and going through all of that because it's such a great reinforcement of, of what we all need to hear in our daily lives. And it doesn't matter where you are, like you mentioned in the organization, whether you're the janitor, whether you're serving lunch, whether you know, it, it's kind of going, going back to some of the lessons that we've heard about and stories you heard about at NASA when, you know, it's a, it's a successful launch of a rocket or they reach the moon that everybody should be celebrating all the way down, like you mentioned, to the custodial staff and people that are pushing paperwork around. You know, they not be, may not be the astronauts or the engineers, but without them, none of this is possible and everything has to go, you know, really perfectly right. And we all should celebrate that, but also everybody needs to be respected, supported, and appreciated in that regard that none of us can do what we can do without the, the entire team kind of doing what they need to do and being part of that entire journey. Um, so I really loved what you kind of said. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to, the, the last piece you kind of mentioned, it's all about the patient. And I'd love to kind of just hear on the quadruple aim front, on the population health front, like what what that, that patient experience and really dr what's driving that and really the focal point, but anything regarding the patient journey right now, how patients are feeling about, you know, the, the, the care they're getting, the world around them, which I know is, is frustrating and, and upsetting setting at times. Um, but I, I feel like we've had such an amazing conversation that we could probably spend so many hours going into each road and it all really comes down to what's in the best interest of the patient. And so anything in regards to the, the patient journey or patient experience, I'd love to kind of hear your comments on or what Kaiser Permanente is doing on that front to really be a cut above the rest. Okay. Wonderful. Let's try and <laughs> approach that was a lot there. I'm sorry. Right now too. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to get into much of that. Um, 
Let's also just pull out what you said about the, the patient being in the center, the person in the center of everything. And so I love having that just be our absolute true north. Okay, so true north is performance improvement language, as you know, for um, what is what are the most important things strategically we look at. And, and in my mind, person at the center, patient at the center has got to be that highest level or true north so that if anything is mur- murky, if anything gets gray, when things get really complex or even chaotic to pull ourselves out of that mire we just come up to that true north and start from there and so person at the center really is my personal and professional true north but truly it also feels like it's both the talk and the walk at Kaiser Permanente so let's talk a little bit about person at the center Um, and you mentioned quadruple aim I'm going to push that a little bit to quintuple aim for the audience today um, because I want to add equity as that quintuple element and have us talk about that really up front and center. But some of the other elements of this, let's call it a holistic or comprehensive aim of, of healthcare, it's another angle for quality as well, is that we talk about patient experience, number one. We talk about provider or healthcare team experience, number two, which we just talked about. Um, We talk about population health or quality, number three, which we've talked extensively about. Number four, we can talk about cost, affordability, bending the cost trend, which is very important. Cost is not a dirty word. We have to talk about affordability and efficiency to enable, you know, healthcare access for all. So we've talked a little bit about that. And then five is equity, which we've talked a little bit about. So focusing on that number one element, the patient care experience, um, with patients at the center, absolutely important and vital and part of the true north um, in our overall approach to healthcare. That's what we exist for. That's our reason for being, is to take care of those individual patients. Um, And so you're right, in some cases, patient experience can be blurred um, and or uh, declined um, because other things might be being focused on. There needs to be an intentional focus on patient care experience There's a few ways that that happens. Um, There's some, for example, policy kind of focus where, for example, um, CMS Medicare five-star ratings or NCQA publicly reported ratings. There's some different tools where patient care experience is actually publicly reported and compared across systems using, for example, a tool called CAPS or HCAPS. Um, That's just one example. So there are some quantitative ways where we can keep that at the forefront. That's very important. Um, Other ways are through growth and membership, where if a patient has choice and is not having an excellent experience, they'll, you know, tell you that with their wallet and with their feet. And so membership and growth are um, kind of big drivers of opportunities for patient care experience. Um, And just like member retention is another way that we look at that for patient care experience. Some ways that we work on improving that, um, let's focus on a couple. One is really it has to be a leadership priority. It has to be clearly stated from leadership all the way to frontline that we care strongly about patient care experience and that we're going to build it directly into our strategic planning with measures that matter so that everyone at all levels of an organization have visibility, can remember that that's our true north and collectively have a shared goal to drive towards that. So there is a sort of business strategy to drive towards that to ensure um, performance and focus in that area. And Kaiser Permanente is absolutely leaning in in that area. Um, A second approach, which I love from an innovation standpoint, is really human-centered design and really ensure, and it's also performance improvement. So human-centered design and performance improvement require that the voice of the member is heard, require that we make sure that we listen to the voices of our patients and our members to drive change and drive improvements. We can do that with surveys. We can do that with focus groups. We can do that with um, patient advisory groups. uh, We can do that with real-time feedback. We can do that with Google reviews. So there's a number of different ways we can do that. And then we can sort of not only hear their voice, but we have to commit to acting on what they're telling us and creating improvement forms from from that voice. So the examples we've used previously in the podcast, for example, health equity and safety, are two big areas where, for example, our quality department in KP Georgia utilizes voice of the member. And I'll give you examples. So for safety, for example, if a patient or family, you know, experiences a safety concern, which can happen, 
our job is to, with humility and vulnerability and open ears, listen to their safety concerns, and then bring that back into the system to create a safer system for the next patient and the next family member. That's one example. A second example is health equity. What we've recently done is, for example, we did a focus group of interviews, actually individually. It's not exactly a focus group, but individual ethnographic interviews with 15 to 20 um, Latinx members, as an example, um, and, and, and members of color. And we deep dove with them about their experiences of chronic disease management in our system with an ear out towards what's culturally specific to the group and how can we improve health equity within our disease management programs. And not only did then we hear them, we're sharing their voice amongst our leadership teams and, and operational teams. And then we're going to create improvement programs based on their voice to ensure not only their voice is heard, but that we're making change. So those are some specific examples of how patient care experience is our true north and how we're utilizing the patient voice to drive improvement. And thank you for asking. Of course. And, and uh, I think we all can agree that uh, Dr. Copeland needs uh, her own podcast at this standpoint, because this has just been an amazing <laughs> journey to hear about all of this. And the, the, the quintuple aim. I mean, I loved you adding the health, you know, the health and equity piece and making sure health equity is really at the forefront as well as around everything else. And it's just, you know, I still remember triple aim coming out, going to quadruple, and now it needs to be quintuple. And we just keep needing to add these these big focal points and pillars if things are going to really be, and you mentioned patient being number one and that being all about and at the center of everything that we're doing and, and really our, our focal point. You know, I, I know we could spend hours. We'd love to actually have you back on in, in the future to kind of dive into some of these areas even a bit more. Um, but is there anything else that, you know, you wanted to leave kind of our community, our audience, you know, and, and just the, the healthcare world at large with in terms of, of other thoughts or, or other things that, that you thought were important as we move forward? Yeah, and first off, I would just say thank you so much for um, hosting this podcast in general, sort of exploring these big level, you know, healthcare system based topics with a lens of curiosity and just the opportunity for improvement in our systems to bring, you know, higher quality, more affordable care to all and to approach all of the different systems that provide this enormous sector of care in this country is just a wonderful um, sort of not just academic, but really important cognitive and heart-based exercise. So thank you for that and for hosting me. Um, to help round up, I guess, my thoughts there, the only thing is I know sometimes you ask, you know, what's next? Like what are the future innovations we're excited about and um, – you know, what is our vision for executing on some of that, at least in our organization? So I guess I just leave with, with some of my thinking about the future then, which is kind of a combination of the old and the new, if you will, which is that on the, on the one hand, really um, doubling down on the basics and just excelling at the basics is what, you know, personally and professionally, as well as at Kaiser Permanente, we want to do. We want to be that integrated care model delivery system with care and coverage that just excels at the basics of both prevention and care across the quintuple aim of what we know we need to offer from prevention to quaternary care. And so that sort of is that that on the one hand element where we build trust, we build relationships, we excel in our clinical care, we're evidence-based um, and we're able to translate evidence into practice. So that's on the one hand. Um, and on the other hand is all of the new transformative innovation kind of approaches that we're all taking in healthcare, making sure that our eyes are wide open, that we think blue sky, that we creatively think how we can not just iteratively improve, but really transform to make sure that we really execute on our sort of vision of providing high quality, affordable healthcare for all and being the solution to healthcare in America as we see it um, or even beyond. And so some of those transformative, innovative kind of future things where we really need to move quickly um, range in a lot of different areas. We've talked about some of them, um, but some additional things are how can care delivery organizations partner with community partners? more? How can we incorporate a lot more prevention, lifestyle, medicine, diet, exercise, things we know that work that are a little bit outside the purview of just medications to help in the 95% of our lives that we're just out in the community living our lives? What's the role of direct-to-consumer sort of tools, 
app technology wearable, uh, that sort of thing. Um, what's the future of on-demand care? What's the balance between face-to-face, telehealth, you know, late at night care, on the weekend care, regular day care, and so forth? How do we meet the, the members where they are, but also balance our workforce joy? How can we have a really, really satisfied, mentally well, physically well workforce of a healthcare team that's able to sustain the care needs of our growing population. Um, And then, of course, behavioral health services and equity. I just want to call out those two elements of just behavioral health is going to need some massive transformation in terms of access across the continuum, meaning from ambulatory care, telehealth care in the community and hospital care. Uh, and real integration and parity with our physical care services. And then, again, just what are the transformative elements from conversations to action in the health equity space? So all of those things are in my other hand of things to look to the future for and integrate with our selling at the basics. And I personally am so excited about the future to integrate all those aspects, and I'm confident in, in Kaiser Permanente as being part of the solution to that consolidation of the old and the new going forward as well. And again, just want to thank you so much for the opportunity to think big with you um, and get excited again about the future. Well, the pleasure is is all on this side and, and with our community, Dr. Copeland. You, you've you've educated us, informed us, but most importantly, you've got us excited and optimistic about what some of the largest influencers, systems, leadership are doing to make it a better healthcare tomorrow. And really, the the foundation you've built with leadership and culture and team based approach and humility and transparency. I mean, we've covered so many different areas, but that has been at the the forefront and at the base of everything that you and Kaiser Permanente is doing, which is vital if any of this is going to happen. And then leaving us with what the future can, you know, is going to bring and what possibilities and opportunities are out there. And yes, there are challenges. Yes, we are broken in some ways, but that also leads to opportunity. That also leads to being, you know, really people wanting to take take it on kind of their shoulders to, to make a difference. And, and those possibilities are out there. And that's what you've shown us today and, and really the right approach to go about it. So the pleasure has been all ours. It's it, We're definitely going to have to have you back on just to check in just to hear about more about how uh, things are going on that side and, and everything you have in front of you. Um, it's going to be an exciting journey and, and, and you definitely deserve it. And, and we can't we can't wait to just be cheerleaders, supporters and, and help in any way we can. So thank you again for spending the time with us today. That's it for this week. Tune in again next week for another illuminating discussion about the changing face of healthcare on The Scope, presented by mobile anesthesiologists. For more, find us online at thescope.zzzmd.com and on Twitter at thescope underscore MA.